Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everybody, to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. This is your January uh, 5th, 2018th edition, um, and our special guest today is Anton Marks, actually coming to us from the U.K. You, you are in the U.K., right, Anton, right now? That, that's correct. Yes, yes, we're in, yes. in uh, London. And, and, and he is uh, he's one of our, our continuing, I would say, string of folks, uh, black authors, Creative artists, have you, who uh, were coming to us uh, from overseas. Welcome to the show, Anton. My pleasure. It's great to be here. I'm glad. Now, Joe, we were just talking before we actually started. Here in Chicago, it's really, really cold. Have you guys experienced inclement weather in the UK, or has it been kind of like a bubble winter for you guys so far? Yeah, it's been. It's been reasonably normal. I mean, London has had um, maybe two days of snow um, just before Christmas. Uh, nothing unusual about that. Uh, the north of England has had um, snow for maybe a week before Christmas as well, but now things have, have quietened down a bit. We've just had um, a major storm for the last uh, three days, but nothing, nothing as bad, nothing comparable to what you guys have been having. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that that's because, you know, traditionally uh, Mother Nature was fine with Brexit, and so you're not getting beat down, and, and we're getting weather beat down because of the uh, president that we got elected over here. So there's, there's probably some karma. Yeah, there's some karma there. could be. It could be some geographical karma, yeah. Absolutely. Now, for those who are listening, um, I want to let you know that uh, first and foremost, um, Anton has a series of books that, that are they're available actually on uh, Amazon, and uh, most of them are Kindle editions. Uh, we're going to discuss in a little while why apparently Americans are not buying a certain one of his books, and he's kind of pissed about that, so we're going to have to cover that later. <laughs> But uh, if, if, you, if you want to take a look at what got up there, his name is just Doug Benchley, Anton, A-T-O-N, and M-A-R-K-S. And, and he's got, uh, looks like half the, is that right? Half the, yeah. sorry, sorry, how, how many books do you have? One, two, um, or five? Quite a few. I mean, there's about five. Um, you got six here. You got six hard copies as well. Well, as kids, okay. but, I mean, the most recent book that I did, which is um, a young adult kind of science fiction fantasy book, um, I wrote that under my real name, which is Anthony Hewitt, because I wanted to differentiate between the adult books that I do, which can be quite graphic and, and, and violent. Um, so, Anthony Hewitt is the name I use for all of my young adult um, science fiction, science fantasy books. Anton Marks 
is uh, the pseudonym I use for the more adult content that I write. Okay. All right. Yeah. So everybody take note of that. Take a look at what he's got to offer. And uh, we, you know, I, I mentioned that I, I sensed uh, a couple of different, uh, I don't know, accents, dialects, whatever, in your, in your, your accent. Um, and and yeah. you mentioned that you, you think, well, yeah, explain where and then you obviously you ended up in the cave but you said you started out in Jamaica well my parents are, are Jamaican um, and I was born in the uh, United Kingdom uh, my okay. parents were, were in the UK for quite some time about 25 30 years and they decided that they wanted to um, go go home um, so obviously <laughs> I was young so I left with them from, from the United Kingdom and back to, to Jamaica. So um, I went to primary school there, high school there, and college in, in Jamaica. So a lot of uh, my experiences um, and my creative output was kind of molded from my experiences in, in the Caribbean, so yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when you were, at, at what age did you no, did you kind of think about writing it, you know, to, to the extent that you are now, you know, where, where maybe you were going to write for other people? I mean, I, obviously, when I was in school, I, I had writing classes, a few, but I honestly, I came by it late. You know, I was in my 40s when I wrote my first book. So, uh, for you, I don't know. I don't even want to think about how old I was, you know, considering how old I am now. Um, but I mean, it was it, was this something that kind of glommed on to you or attracted you on, or, or what, what happened there? But tell us a little bit about your writing career and how it started. Yeah, um, for me, writing writing has always been always been a passion. Um, I can remember being in school in the UK when I was about six or seven, I think that's my earliest memory of creating a piece of work for my English class. And my teacher um, giving me, because at, at that time what happened is the best creative work would be brought to the headmaster. And at the end of like a month, he would choose the best creative writing project and um, my work was constantly amongst the best sometimes getting the, the top monthly award I mean I, I just loved writing I think one of the things that that influenced me was film and television okay. so I, I, I just I just wrote I just loved the idea and obviously as a child nothing is impossible you, you don't, there's no limits to what you can do as far as you're concerned in your own mind. So I, I just did it and I was encouraged by my teachers, encouraged by my parents. So yeah, I just wrote. I love writing and reading as well. So yeah. And, and you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, influences. I mean, are we talking television, comics, movies? I mean, what other books? Um, what, what kinds of things? Because obviously you have a penchant for, you know, you're, you have an affinity for, you know, science fiction or, or maybe mm -hmm. fantasy, what kinds of things were 
were instrumental in kind of, you know, guiding you in that direction? Well, well this, this was quite some time ago. I mean, I don't want to give away how old I am, but it, it was a time when um, Star Trek original series, um, Doctor Who, uh, we had some, I mean, England at the time had quite a few really groundbreaking science fiction television programs. Um, and I was, I was in everything. Um, like, um, you, you, you've heard of Jerry Anderson? Yes, I have, yeah. Okay, Joe 90 and um, all of the the kind of puppet science fiction programs that were going on, uh, Thunderbirds, um, etc. Did you watch Blake Seven? Seven? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tomorrow People, etc. I mean, it, it it was a time where science fiction was really booming um, in the UK, especially in the the self. Uh, uh, and I was, I was, I was into everything. I mean, at the time. As well, we were getting Marvel Comics, um, uh, DC Comics. Um, so I, I was into, I was into everything. I, I don't know why, I just loved it. I think my, my dad, he, he was, um, he loved the science fiction films himself, and I think I got that, that love for that aspect of it from from him. But I absorbed. I absorbed it all, um, TV, the films, the comics, um, and as my reading skills improved, the books, novels. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the same in the same boat as you are. Um, my dad had just about all of, you know, he had as much of the classic science fiction authors, you know, from the Golden Age in the house, yeah. and, and, and descriptions to first basic tales and then analog magazine. And with yeah. all of that around, I watched that a lot. And then we didn't have the same, I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised at the BBC's devotion or attention to science fiction during that period. Because mm -hmm. like you said, there were so many of those shows that were, were coming on and, and rotating through um, we didn't have the same thing here. You know, we could look at Star Trek. We had, I think, our biggest science fiction television shows were cartoon-based or, uh, um, you know, the uh, Thunderbirds, like you, you know, like you said. So it, it was a little different on television for me, but I, I started out by reading. So that was that was what what, what my entree was. You know, my dad kind of did the same thing for me. Um, mm -hmm. Now, and, and so when you started writing, were you writing kind of a, in the science fiction genre, or uh, you know, is, is that what started you out? Were you, you know, was that your fascination there? Yeah. Um, obviously, as younger as I was, and um, looking at um, a lot of television. Um, there were some programs that really influenced me and I would sort of copy what uh, what I saw on, on television in in my um, in my stories. Um, the, one of the things I remember I did was um, a short story on 
uh, a time travel short story. I don't know if you remember this this TV um, program called Time Tunnel. Um, 
I continued in my writing ways um, in Jamaica from you know from primary school up to to high school, um, and you know you you become an adolescent and it's not as important a part of your life as it should have been. But obviously, I didn't really have the guidance to say, you know what, Anton, continue doing what you're doing. I mean, I did write, but not as much, not as fervently as I did when I was when I was much uh, younger. So, yeah. But the, the thing is, I think I was preparing um, the ground of my mind for writing later on, and I mean, um, I absorbed everything about the island and the people and the history and um, which served me really well when I eventually left Jamaica, came back to the UK. Um, and after a few years here, I decided that I needed to resume the love of, of my, my life, which was, was writing. Um, and at the time when I when when I I decided that I was going to do it, um, there was a, a, a kind of revolution, a publishing revolution taking place in the UK. So I was set to take advantage of that, and I I I did to a lesser degree, but I, I did start. Um, writing, and I got my first work published um, in in the UK. Wow! And, and what year was that? Do you remember? Um, it was late eighties, mid eighties to late eighties. Yeah. And, and at that time, you know, we certainly didn't have the. the publishing revolution that we have now, you know, with, with self-publishing and all of the tools that that authors can avail themselves on now, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, it, it was still kind of an extraordinary thing to get something published, or at least not extraordinary, yeah, it was extraordinary, but yeah. the yeah. realm of, of this person went to the steps and got published. And, and yeah, so yeah, it, it was, it was. Yeah, and then once you got published, well, no, tell us about that story because that's that's long enough ago that the whole process is is much yeah. different than what people are used to today. Tell us a little bit about how yeah, you went about is, getting. Yeah, well, when when I was talking about kind of like a publishing revolution, um, I wasn't referring to the technology because you're correct. I mean, at the time, it was traditional publishing where you had the publishing houses um, that you had to convince that right. your work was commercial enough to be taken into consideration by them to be to be published and at the, at the time um, I'm not sure how much you know about like the whole colonialist um, history of, of the UK and, and people who uh, from the diaspora or living in the UK. But, I mean, there's a, a very influential um, diaspora living in, in the UK from the 
Caribbean, uh, right. uh, from Asia, uh, from Africa. And okay. um, the, the problem was their voices were being, they weren't heard. I mean, um, stories were being told, um, authors were being published, but the voices of, you know, the black residents of the UK were heard because as far as uh, the publishing houses were concerned, um, their voices weren't commercial enough or what we had to say would not sell books and, you know, the usual myth about black people not reading books, etc., etc. So um, there were very few um, black authors in, in popular fiction, um, very, very few. And then what happened is... We would, we would say um, main fiction because... Sorry? What did you say that again? We would, say, we would say mainstream fiction here in the U.S., but it, it's mm-hmm. the same thing. You know, essentially, and let me just digress for a moment, in, yeah, in traditional publishing, when they looked at your work and they thought that it might have potential, first, the first thing they'd do is turn you over to an editor. And the editor would look at your work and... The, the value of the editor, you know, worldwide is they were trained to look at a piece of work and then they could accurately estimate exactly how many copies of that work would actually sell. Yeah. So they were kind of like the gatekeepers. Yes, they were. Yeah. And, and so for, for you, you know, how do you think you managed to get around the gatekeepers in, in a non-traditional way? Yeah, well, that that was that was easy in the sense that I approached uh, a publisher that was unique in the publishing landscape of the United Kingdom. Uh, okay. This publishing house, this publishing house, realized that there were voices that weren't being expressed in the literary world and they needed to be expressed. So they, they were actually looking for new voices. They were looking for authors who could produce characters, write characters, write scenes, write stories that were completely different from what was normally put on the book on the bookshelf. So sure. my my first um, my first novel, uh, which is also available uh, on, on Amazon, was called Dance Hall, which was was a crime crime thriller. And basically it was about um, the music industry in, in, in Jamaica. And as I said it, it was a, a crime thriller and the the uh, the publishing house, I mean, they, they loved it because obviously there was nothing like it at the time. There was nothing, there was no crime thrillers where the main protagonists were black. Right. It, it just not something which um, they had. They didn't have any stories like that because obviously, you know, traditionally they would not publish stories like that. Um, but this particular publishing house, that is what they wanted. 
so my first book was a crime thriller, which um, I did, and it it was incredible. I mean, the response to it here in the UK, and funny enough, um, in the states as well, uh, it, it did very very well. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, once once you have that kind of cachet especially for your first book, were, were doors opened for you that, uh, that, that were not traditionally open for black authors in the UK at all? I mean, did you, did you have an easier time continuing on and, and adding to your own library? Um, yes and, and no. I mean, there were some doors that were opening, especially in regards to... Um, television and um, and film. There, there were rumblings. People would inquire about um, the work. And the, the, thing, the thing is, the first book, you have to remember my heart, as we've been speaking, has always been in the speculative fiction arena. It's, it's always been there, but as I said, because I grew up in the Caribbean, I could still tell kind of fast-paced stories, the stories that I wanted to tell around the from the Caribbean. Um, so I, I could do that too, but I've always wanted to, you know, combine my love for speculative fiction with who I am as a as a person. So mm-hmm. I mean, once I did that that work. Um, publishers didn't want me to write any, anything else. So I did um, a futuristic thriller uh, just after after that and they would not publish it. They had pigeonholed you to that ex- to such an extent that they wouldn't accept something off, yeah, yeah. off genre exactly. from you. Oh man! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't, couldn't get um, that futuristic thriller published at all. So what I had to do is I wrote another uh, crime thriller um, called Bushman, which was kind of like a, <laughs> a Jamaican James Bond kind of. Um, Story, um, okay. which is also visible in Amazon as well. And I mean, I they accepted that that went out and that did um, really well. I mean, another thing to consider is that this publishing house wasn't one of the the giants, so sure they they did what they could do with obviously the resources they had, but they made some they made some waves. They made some 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 real headway into the, the UK publishing world, but even they had their, their prejudice against speculative fiction. So, you know, they would not publish that first one that I did, but that didn't stop me. I mean, I wrote another futuristic thriller, um, and they still wouldn't, they still wouldn't touch it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of interesting because what it sounds like, and, and excuse me for saying,
think so, but it does sound extremely British, you know, from <laughs> from, from someone yeah. here in America, because, mm-hmm. you know, yes, we will give you a chance. We want you to succeed. We want you to give us something that's completely different, but don't yeah. give us different from different. Yeah, yeah, you know? that's it. And that was just so much of a stretch for them, I think. Yeah, yeah. Just the idea of, you know, a futuristic thriller story with characters, you know, 50, 60 years in the future. You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that was just too much for them to to handle, possibly. So, yeah. So, So what did you do to go about getting those stories published? Um, well, I did the publishing of myself. I mean, it was... Oh, you did something publish, okay. Yeah, it, it was really messy. Um, when I mean, I mean that, I had to, um, you know, get the books printed, edited, you know, all myself, covered. It, it was, I mean, I did what I had to do because that had my work out there. Um, was with me. I mean, I couldn't, there's nothing I could do to, to stop myself. I couldn't just sit back and, and do nothing. So, um, I still, I guess, even at that time, you could call it self-publishing, but it wasn't obviously as slick and as uh, all matters as it is now. So, I'd have to obviously store the books um, where I live and um, post out copies to people who bought and even having the books with Amazon was messy as well. You had to send them boxes of the books and they would store it and there was a cost for that. And so for for an independent, it was really difficult. It was expensive. It was cumbersome. It, it was just really, really messy. But as I said, I had to do something um, because I was getting blocked left, right, it was difficult to get anything, anything out there. So I guess I was really kind of hustling. I was going to um, events. I was doing a lot of library stuff, a lot of reading. Um, yeah, so I had to really get out there. And that experience was a good one because I met so many, you know, great people, aspiring writers as well, entrepreneurs, and readers and fans who are fans and readers, you know, to this day. So yeah, it, it was a, a great exp- it was a great experience. But the real traction occurred obviously when Amazon revolutionised the the game. Yeah, yeah. Now um, living in London and being drawn to speculative fiction, you know, like today, it was kind of, it was a lot easier for me than it was, it sounds like it was for you, because we have so many people who are trying to write, there's so many writing groups, there's there's a lot of networking going on, um, a lot of information being passed back and forth electronically, I mean, the online world in terms of networking and having information about how to get things done is mm-hmm. it's something that was not available to you. So it, 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 was, it was far easier for me. But when you talk about meeting fans, things like, did you also, did you have you know, any kind of networking with fellow writers? Um, yes, um, I did. 
But the thing is, the authors who, I mean, I've, I've obviously known of um, authors from the States who were doing science fiction. Sure. Um, and I've obviously read Octavia Butler. I mean, you know, back in the back in the day, um, mm-hmm. I read her work. So I know, and I knew there were speculative fiction writers out there. Not many. I mean, even um, Charles R. Sanders, because um, I was into Tarzan and Conan and uh, that, that kind of stuff. So even Charles Sanders' work. I was familiar with back back in the in, in the day as well, but there were there were many speculative black speculative uh, fiction writers. I mean, mm-hmm. I've read all of the great black fiction writers who were obviously out there, you know, back back in the day. But here in the UK, for what I wanted to do as as a black man writing about the future and also you know, horror fiction. There wasn't many people I could talk to author-wise, writer-wise right. about, there, about that. There, there weren't yeah. a lot of people in your genre you didn't network no. with. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I would network with authors, but they wouldn't be into what I wanted to do. Sure, sure. And, and that, you know, that kind of begs the question, like today, you know, obviously you're being interviewed on a, a show that's based in the United States. Um, do you have much, I mean, uh, Jarvis uh, says that he has had a lot of interaction with you. And so, you know, obviously found each other that way. Do you have much contact excuse me, people here in the, in the state, you know, who who have an affinity for black science fiction or horror? It's a different world now, isn't it? And, I, and I'm more yeah. organized, obviously. My journey allowed me to now be in a position where um, I can reach out to um, readers from, uh, from around the world. And I mean, you know, my... American uh, fans um, or people who are, are interested in what what I'm doing writing wise, they're there. And I mean, obviously, there is there is no excuse now in today's world to not be able to reach, even in a superficial way, people from around the world. But as you know, the message the message has to keep going, doesn't it? You can't just touch people once and expect them to engage with you immediately. You, you have to constantly be be touching people with your work and what, what you're doing. So, I mean, that is the process, but I have a great amount of, I mean, readers who are showing interest. And I know it's just a matter of time before I'll become a name which someone in the States will say, yeah, you know, I've read Anton's books and hey, they're, they're brilliant. He's, a, he's an excellent, he's an excellent author. And once the word mm-hmm. spreads 
and, 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 and actually acquire people who are interested in something a bit different, but not too different from what they're looking from what they're looking for. Well, and the other thing is, is you know, you you got you got kind of like a a strange dichotomy going worldwide in that fewer people are reading books, and so you know that contact that you make with your your readers, you know, the people who are buying your books is even more. Uh, more important because you have to be engaged and, and at the same time try to figure out strategies to get your work in the hands normally have anyway. It, it, it's kind of tough to out there. You know, here's what I do. My, my first book was published in 2009 and, mm-hmm. and in, in some ways I jokingly say, you know, that was pretty idiotic on my part to decide to become an author when people have Almost all but get the big book. It's not entirely true, but it's it's largely true. And ten years mm-hmm. from now, I think that this uh, is somewhere in the high 80s. The percentage of people who will get all of their content, whether it be social media, art, you know, movies, whatever, they're going to be getting them on on their mobile device. So. Yeah. One of the challenges is, I think, for any author is is maintaining a grip on not only your, your current reader, but then the challenge of trying to to expand your reader base into areas that that are brand new territory, not only for you but for for the for the consumer. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree with you, hundred percent. When you think of your long term strategies, you know. Other than producing the content that you know that your readers want, and that's that's the best possible thing to maintain readership. Do you have a plan? You know, you know, just in the back of your mind, in the front of your mind, have you thought about how you're going to expand your base? Because I think that that's the challenge of writers. Not so hard with uh, graphic novels. It, it's not. It, it's fairly comics, and then obviously any of the visual arts, you know, television, uh, cartoons, movies, live-action movies, movie movies, um, TV shows and webisodes, those are are right up the alley of where the consumer is going. What, mm-hmm. have, have, you even, have you even addressed, you know, expanding your, your customer base at this point? Yes, no, definitely, because, yeah, that, that's the way it's, it's going. And, I mean, um, really, you, you have to have a transmedia marketing plan, basically. You, yes. you've, got to, you've got to be able to touch on all the media with your, your work. Um, for for uh, uh, also entrepreneur, it, it can be difficult because of the price points that need to be met when you're trying to touch on all all of these media. But as you as you said, that is the the only way to go. So yeah, I I thought of all of that. I mean, the first thing is. 
I start making all of my books into to scripts for first thing for, for film. So I make screenplays um, because as far as I'm concerned, I need to make it easy for a producer to say, well, you know what? I want to work with Anton. So once they come in, I would have a script ready. It may not be exactly what they're looking for, but it, it's something which is a basis that they can they can work off. So that, that that's the first thing, because I'm, I'm thinking everything I do, everything I write, whether it be short stories or novellas or full-length novels, I'm thinking film uh, and TV. So, for instance, um, the young adult um, science fiction fantasy book that I started, which is a series called Joshua and the Gun, The Last Prince of Al-Kebalan, at, at their age, were very visual. And obviously, at the times we're in, film and cartoons and, you know, people need to see the, the images. I've already got the groundwork done for the characters. So I'm not starting from scratch. I've got it there uh, that I can, I can work with. So, yeah, I've considered that too. And also audiobooks. Now, audiobooks is another area where it's exploding. But it's really expensive. The voice talent that yes, yes. You, you need, the voice talent you need to produce a quality audiobook, they don't come cheap. They're oh, very, no. very good. And the, and the work they produce is, is fantastic. It's worth it. It is worth the, the investment, but it's not, it's not cheap. So you consider it. You have a book. You create a trailer. Now, a proper trailer is going to cost you. It's not. I mean, yeah, there, there's software out there that you can use, and yeah, it, it, it's it's okay, but not as impactful as as it could be. So, you produce a trailer for your book, a proper one. That's that's going to cost you a few two grand, maybe you know two grand to get it reasonably done. Then you need the audiobook. That's going to cost you, you know, three, four thousand dollars to get um, the voice talent to read maybe a, a book for six, seven hours, possibly the length of, of uh, maybe a novel. So that needs to be done. So you have to pay for that too. But let's not forget the marketing costs that are involved in marketing the work as well. And if you're thinking like me, then you're thinking graphic novel as well um, and possibly you're thinking of pushing the work to television studios and film producers so that's the way to go but it's it's, it's cost intensive it's cash intensive but that is you know that is the, the way to go but that is what is happening in the world now you have to think in a transmedia way. Yeah, and, and a lot of people don't, you know. People, <laughs> I, I don't want to over 
generalize about authors, but in mm. some ways they're fairly insular, and not all yeah. of them have have your awareness. And and we, mm. it's unusual, you know. You I'm the one who has to mention transmedia in, a, in an interview, um, mm. but but you're absolutely right. What what why do two things? First thing is you want to make your product available, accessible to anybody who wants to check it out, which means multiple formats. And as you said, it's very, very expensive. The other yeah. thing you want to do, which you're also doing already, so obviously I don't have to say anything about that to you, but when you are trying to do anything that involves convincing other people to either invest time, energy, or money in you, what you have to do, your main task is to take away every reason for them to say no. That, yeah. That's the magic bullet. So this is me when I tell them that, but that's the magic bullet. That's the magic thing, and that's all you have to do. And people go, well, what do you mean? I go, well, you know, first of all, uh, if you have a great story, why don't you, you know, grab a book on script writing and go ahead and produce your own script? Or how about you do a synopsis that a film producer would need and understand? You know, because that's a little different than a regular book synopsis. Uh, and so all of these, all of these little tasks that that you do are, are the exact right path. Hey, so be successful in in one and um, your personal uh, uh, creativity to get out to one. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I think you're handling this brilliantly. And, and, the, and I mean that in the, the UK way, in the British English way, when I think brilliant with um, Well, you know, I speak both languages. Well, actually, I speak both languages. So I speak uh, UK English, uh, American English, and then what I grew up with outside of Chicago. Uh, but but Okay, I'll tell you a quick story. The reason why I speak like this is because when I grew up, uh, did you ever see the TV show Good Times with J.J. Walker, where they were supposed oh, to live in the ghetto? Yeah, I love it. Okay. Mm. That, that's how I spoke when I grew up. Uh. <laughs> All right. And then I wanted to get into radio. Mm-hmm. And then when I decided I was going to get into radio, I realized that I would be relegated to AM band here in the U.S., in the 1400s, unless I found it a little more mainstream. So I went and learned right. more mainstream. Um, but anyway, I mean, for, for you, for what you're doing, I, I can't see any other way, any better way for you to do it. And, and if, you know, I'm looking at, uh, I look at your work, and, you know, you, you have a few reviews. All the reviews are positive. Um, bad to the bones, you got 12 reviews there, and they're all five-star reviews. But everything you've got up here is a five or a four star review. And and so obviously people like what you write. Or at least they, they like it enough to go ahead and put a review up. Um yeah. you know, and I, I tell readers that probably the greatest to the author is to write a review and post it where other people you know, really like yeah. authors work. Um so so you've got that going. You mentioned earlier, uh, what was it, experiences with television, mm-hmm. was it, or, or movies? Did you, did 
experiences in terms of, you know, uh, adapting your work or, or what kind of experience did you have? Or did I mishear that? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, because obviously, as I said, I'm, I'm into, into films. So when I write, I'm always, that's always at the back of my, my mind. Uh, yeah, yeah a, a design consideration, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always thinking, you know, this has to be done in such a way to to be able to make films. And I think also, just as a side note, that's why I've never written like a, a space opera before, because I, I'm thinking, well, it's difficult enough to get a film made, much less one. Maybe I'm limiting myself, and I shouldn't think like that, but I'm thinking, well, let me handle the street side of science fiction or the street side of horror. Others can do the space operas, etc. because I'm thinking, just like how you said, I want to make sure there's no barriers for people to produce my films and produce television. I want people to say to me, oh, well, you know, a space-faring you know, um, group of people going on to different planets and, you know, fighting aliens or in some intergalactic war, that's going to cost just too much, too much money. So I've limited my, myself to just the street side of, of writing or science fiction and horror because as far as I'm concerned, it's easier. So all of my books... Um, whether they're supernatural based or, or horror based, to, to produce the work, it's not going to cost the, the hundreds of thousands. I'm, I'm being sensible, or so I tell myself, anyhow. So I have um, a futuristic thriller called um, In the Days of Dread. Um, so it was kind of based, how I wrote it was, do you remember Strange? Strange Days. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah, cool. So it was kind of, that film kind of influenced me a lot when I was writing this, this book. Um, and I love Angela Bassett, anyhow. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I wrote it and I'm saying, well, it's 50 years in the future. Um, and... It's based in London. Okay. And the characters are really cool, and it's about um, racial conflict as well between groups of people and religious conflict. It, it's really it's an action-packed kind of story, um, and I kind of changed up the politics of the world, and I even talked about a fractured kind of Europe as well, and also Africa being like a uh, a republic or, you know, kind of like a democratic state of Africa kind of thing. So, okay, um, I had interest in in that story initially. I mean, I did nothing really. Um, a producer came to me and he was interested in in doing it. It just, you know, it fell, it fell through. But I think maybe in regards to um, getting the finances for it. Um, I've had another few uh, 
uh, producers approach me in regards to some of the crime thrillers that I've done. Um, but also, it's a financial thing too. And, and you know, getting films made is not is not easy. But throughout all of that, I realised that my work can be taken up and used for film and for, for TV because I've had interest. It's just that it's never fully panned out. So my thoughts have been, how can I, you know, take more responsibility for this? So what I've been doing is trying to get in contact with directors and try to work with talented directors. So that's what kind of I'm in the process of doing, just linking up with directors who haven't really got stories because if you notice, most of the directors have already have their own stories and that's the problem I was facing. I, I, was, I was talking to directors, but they have their own projects, so they're not going to leave their projects. As much as they may like your, your stories, they're not going to leave their projects and take up, take up yours. So the difficulty was for me to find a talented director who didn't really have any projects to work on. So that's kind of where I am now. So hopefully this year I may be able to come out with, with, some, with a, a feature film um, based around possibly one of my ideas. But as I said, if that doesn't pan out, I'm still going to be working towards trying to find the director who I can work with, who is looking for ideas, but is talented at the same time. Have you tried getting in touch with Noel Clark? Um, I did, but half-heartedly. I didn't, because um, one day I met him and I didn't have anything. You know, usually... When I'm going places, I have uh, material with me, either books or whatever, but I met him <laughs> on the street and I had nothing. And because um, I, I don't like when I meet these guys, I try not to, you don't want to say, well, I can do this or I have this because there are people who want to see evidence I mean, what you've got. So that I, I kind of squandered that opportunity, but I know I will see him again. I, I know I will, so, and, and yeah, I, 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 I will know, do that. I will do that. He is fairly accessible. You know, I had I had a, a brief conversation with him electronically, and he was very accessible, and, and uh, you know, so, I, you know, that's the only reason why I mentioned it, because I, yeah. I actually started out by praising something that he did that I thought yeah. was unusually well done, and, and we yeah. did get into a brief conversation, and he,
of stuff being ready to hand out. Uh, but that's almost true. sometimes what you, you kind of need to do. The other trick that I've learned is um, showing up in places where you know these people are going to be. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Um, so that's, I mean, it, you know, Anton, it sounds like you're, you know, you've got everything planned out very, very well. Um, don't miss a bet. And, you know, I haven't, obviously, I haven't read any of your work. And, you know, I don't want to apologize for that because there's no, I didn't know who the hell worked until, you know, this week. So, and, and the other thing is, you know, I, you know, I, as a fellow creative, I, I'm also, like you said, busy working on my own, my own. Yeah, of course. Work. Of course, it's difficult to, so, to, um, to, yeah. But, but that doesn't mean I'm not gonna, you know, I am not going to promote you when people go, well, hey, do you know something I want to look at? My wife want to look at it. I said, well, I know a guy's got a series of books. He's put them out. And, you know, they seem to be well received. And, you know, brought them to the UK. Now there's there's some cachet there for people here in the state, you know, because yeah. you know it's a different perspective, and and I think the more you different things, probably the more accepting you are for reading anything. Um, I I actually at the Worldcon last year I moderated a uh, a panel discussion on Afrofuturism. And, and I yeah. mentioned this to a few people because it, it, it was, you know, usually I think I'm pretty jaded. I've heard it all. I've seen it all. You know, I know what white folks are like. I know what black folks are like. You know, this guy asked a question that just got mm-hmm. in my track and kind of blew my mind. And we're, we're having this discussion at, at Worldcon and uh, an older white gentleman, I, he looked to be maybe 60, now he looks 70. Yeah. Because he looked, he looked older than me. Um, and he, he said, and, and this was without guile, without any agenda, he said, you know, that Afrofuturism and, and, and black sports sound very interesting. He said, but I have very... a question. He said it sounds, it, it sounds very interesting. And then he said, well, okay. but I have, a, I have a question. And I said, what's mm-hmm. the question? He said, how much about black culture do I need to know in order to enjoy these stories? And mm-hmm. man, I had never thought that, that that situation would be a barrier or that someone might have thought about that. And, yeah. and I, I did give a very, I thought was a quick reply. It didn't take me but a second. I said, okay, show of hands. How many of you here knew about a Navi before you saw Avatar? And naturally, yeah. nobody's hands went up. And I said, if somebody writes well, you're going to be able to understand what's going on in the writing. Regardless, there may be a few things that are different or a few things yeah. that are not familiar. But remember, if it's a good writer, you're going to pick up most of that by context. Of course. So, yeah. But but I I had never thought that 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 situation would be a barrier in a reader, 
And, and so it was a brilliant question for him to ask, and yeah. it was great because I had never considered that. So when, when you write, and you write, let's say you're writing, you know, a, an island, a, a Jamaican-based or, you know, a Jamaican culture-based story, mm-hmm. um, when, when you do that, do you see what you're writing as a possible barrier to people understanding it, or do you believe that the way that you present the story, you know, what right in context will be sufficient for people to appreciate the culture from which you're writing, the perspective, the cultural perspective from which you're writing? Yeah, I, I, I think um, it's not a stretch for people to, to understand and fully appreciate where this, the story and the characters and the culture is, is coming from. I mean, remember, right, that we have authors who have written about alien cultures who have created world completely alien to our own. And yet the readers have been able to understand, to appreciate the characters appreciate the world and the rules that have been set, obviously, that dictate how this world will function. I mean, if they can accept that, then they can accept a culture that isn't alien, that's Earth-based, that you could check out online if you, you had any queries about it. It's not Really, it's not alien at all. It's it's real life amongst us. So, I mean, if you can accept, you know, oh, some alien, no, I agree. Then, I... then why why is it so? Cause, I mean, when when I was growing up, right? When I was yeah. getting into books in in um in Jamaica, I wouldn't ask, oh, where is this author from? You know, or, you know, I'd, if I was interested in the topic, in the story, i get it. I mean, I, I didn't question that Isaac Asimov, you know, his, his, his forebearers were from, from Russia. I didn't care. He wrote right. a book. He wrote iRobot. He wrote the Foundation Trilogy. And I loved it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I didn't care. You know, no, I, I, I read was reading. Yeah, I mean, look at look at when I read um, Lord of the Rings. I was in high school, I think, like the first grade. Maybe I was like fifteen. Uh, no, okay, 13, sure. so, yeah, fourteen or so. Yeah, so I read the Lord of the Rings really young. It's a massive book. It's really complicated. I mean, you know, Tolkien. He created a language for the elves. He created a language for the orcs. You know, there were so many rules about magic in the Middle Kingdom. I mean, there were so many things, but I could, as a 14-year-old, 13-year-old kid, I would sit down and scroll about this world that he created. And this is... This is what a man created. So, yeah, I, I've got no 
There are no excuses, as far as I'm concerned, for somebody to say, oh, it's difficult to appreciate this earthbound culture that is real, that is around you, that you share with other human beings on the planet. I mean, the mind boggles. I just can't understand when people do that. No, I go, I write a good story, good writer, good characters. It may challenge you, but isn't that a part of the enjoyment of reading a novel? I, I, I agree with yeah. you, but, you know, stop and think about how many people will only things that are familiar to them. You know, they'll only read the same author. And and obviously, you know, to, to a truly enlightened reader, that's not a barrier. It's not a barrier at all. As a matter of fact, the, the more different, the better, because then they get exposed to things that they would not, that they may, may not have thought about at all. You know, yeah. or, you know, like, uh, I, I have a good friend, she's in the chat room now. She never would have picked up what I wrote because she never would have written read science fiction but because she knew me she thought well I'll give it a shot and you know she, she kind of likes what I write and, and so that that's the kind of reader that you don't worry about you know yeah. but but if but remember you know obviously when that that man at the uh, uh, the conference asked me that question there are obviously readers out there who 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 don't think the way you and I think, who, who are not so so egalitarian, so enlightened, yeah. just pick up a book and go, hey, oh, this is different, let me read this. I mean, and, yeah. and Tolkien is a great example because Tolkien invented, you know, what, a dozen fully fleshed out cultures with their own languages and things like that. Yeah. And that was a massive oh, enterprise. And, and, yeah. and it was very, very well done. But you know, there are a lot of people out there who won't read it because they go, well, you know, I don't want to read about drag. I don't want to read about this. I don't want to read about that, you know. And, sure. and, and, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do about people like that except hope that, well, maybe one day, maybe your kids will read it. Then you'll be forced to help them with their homework or, you know, something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I'm yeah. glad that you don't see that as a barrier and you don't worry about the process of creating a culture, in a, in, you know, that's different from what would be considered, and I'm using the air quotes now, mainstream culture, you know, yeah. and so that's kind of cool that you have, you don't have that fear, because it, it's going to make your writing more authentic, and, and it's one less petty, childish little thing that you have to worry about, if we want to be honest yeah. about it, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's true, it's true, and I, I think, too, that because we're in the, the social media era, that it's easy for you to touch readers. Now, look what we're doing now. I mean, you know, there'll be possibly people listening to this discussion, um, and they're beginning to understand that, well, you know what, Anton, I like what he's saying. I, I kind of feel what he's, he's, he's about. So, you know, I'll go mm -hmm. and check out his, his book because, you know, we've been talking about different things, and obviously there may be something about what I said or what you said that will allow, you know, a listener to say, well, yeah, you know, he's human after all. They are human. You know, William and Anton are human. Let, let's go check out the, their book, because sometimes it just takes that, that personal touch. 
sometimes well, some video, somebody will see you doing and talking about something and they'll say, yeah, you know, I agree with that. You know what, I'll check out his work and see what he's, he's about. So I think, you know, we can't reach everybody, but the idea is to try and reach as many people as you can and talk about, you know, your work and what you do because people need to see that, you know, you have the same struggles they do and you want to write about things that impact them too, even though it's science fiction or, or horror fiction, you know. So, as I said, you know, social media may be the thing that will allow us to reach like that gentleman, you know, for him to say, well, you know what? I'll give that a try because I like how what he's saying. I, I never thought about it that way, you know. So I think it's more basic than that. I think it's you know, um, you know, I I like these guys for talking, or or I like I like the fact that uh, William interviewed somebody from from the UK, and now I know about this guy in the UK. I liked him. I like what he said and and his his public interest. Because yes. uh, the bottom line is nobody is a better salesperson than you are for selling exactly. what it is that you're created. Nobody mm -hmm. can talk about it the way you talk about it. Nobody has a love for it the way you do. Yeah. But to be honest, writing is a labor of love. When you're sitting yes. on your ass writing, you are earning no money. None. <laughs> and, and when I'm sitting here writing... I am not out in the street making, you know, hundreds of dollars an hour with my normal yeah. pay. Yeah. So, yeah. stupid ass me, I went and became a writer. Well, no, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that because this, this, this is going to pay off because I like writing stories. I like writing engaging stories. People like what I mm -hmm. write. People read yeah. um, So, this you, your personality, you know, the cult of personality, and that's what it is. Let's be honest. Yes. And, you know, I use to lie and not mention it, but actually that the cult of personality is the most important sales tool that any creative entrepreneur has in their their arsenal of marketing. Okay, because I agree with fight you. If people find you interesting, then they're going to take a look at your work. All right? Yes. And this is one of the That's reasons why I go to to as you know, I'm starting to go to as many conventions as I do and meeting as many people that I possibly can because that cult of personality is working. You know, it works. You know, and, and I genuinely usually like people. I like them until I'm tired of them and I want to go to my room and get away from them. But but I will engage. You know, somebody asks a question about my work. That's like mm -hmm. the coolest thing for me because A, they read my work and B, they actually yeah. thought about it. What mm -hmm. what better thing can you get from a reader? Now, in, 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 you know, you being the kind of writer you are in the UK, you know, obviously, you know, the UK is uh, a lot smaller than the United States. Um, mm -hmm. And then the whole, you know, I, I don't know what the was going to do about art. I don't think it's going to do a damn thing to art. You know, art travel. You know, I yes. I got contacted by uh, a, a black man in the UK, read my work, and he, he found me on Facebook and said, "Hey, I just wanted to let you know, I put a uh, I put a review up on Amazon UK for your trilogy," and I was I was kind of astounded because it was a bit blindsided. First of all, I I didn't look I don't look at stats 
where I sell from. Because mm-hmm. I decided when I wrote them that you come from psychotic and you could check your, your you know, your Amazon sales stats every day. You could you know, check your publisher. You could actually get really, really psychotic about it. And a lot of people do. And I wanted mm-hmm. to avoid that. So I just, I yeah. don't look. But, but to have somebody from your country, you know, take the time to contact me on Facebook to say, hey, um, I just wanted you to know, was, it, it, first of all, it made me feel pretty good. You know, not yeah. like special, like I'm better than anybody else, but the fact no, that somebody no. that it was a fan, you know. But, but, but art travels. Intellectual property travel. You know, your books in, in, in hard copy, if I were to buy a book here in hard copy, you know, either you still have had to send it to the Amazon sent here, or if you've done what I've done, I have a moment house that allows Amazon print on demand so I can sell a piece without the expense of mm-hmm. I do, I do that too. Yeah. yeah. So, so again, you know, this is taking a barrier away from somebody, you know, what if they would have had to pay an extra two, three, four, I don't know, dollars or, or even, you know, whatever to get something shipped overseas, that's the barrier. Well, I don't want to have that barrier. I don't want them to all of a sudden go, oh, man, that's too expensive to ship. So yeah. I wanted to make my work available internationally at the cheapest possible rate I could. So again, you know, all of these are marketing tricks that everybody should be thinking about if you have to, if, if you're going to become that kind of entrepreneur. Um, yeah. Let me ask this: When you think about time spent on a on a daily basis, and I, I don't know if you have another job or if your writing is sustaining you, if it's self-sustaining, but if if you had to do an estimate in percentage about how much time spend in your creative endeavor and how much time you spend about the business of doing this your creative endeavor. How do you think it breaks down? Um, that's a really good question. Um, here, 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 I'll tell you the rule of thumb that we, you're kind of throwing it yeah. around for the last few months is the 80-20 rule. 80 yeah. of what yeah. I generally do is in the service of doing business and 20% of my time actually spent, you know, sitting on my ass fighting and editing and, yeah. and all of the things that go with that. Um, do yeah. you have a guess yeah. what you do or have you not really thought about it? I'd say, I'd say maybe the, the Pareto rule would apply to me too. I mean, I'm thinking uh-huh. maybe, because um, the thing is that mark, marketing is, like essential, isn't it? It's the lifeblood of any, especially for me and for other self-publishing um, author entrepreneurs. I mean, marketing is essential um, to get, obviously, your work out to as many people as possible. So, although we're in a time now where it's easier to reach more people than like 10, 15 years ago, there's so many choices that it takes so much time to do. So <laughs> um, it eats into your writing time. I do 
his magazine and I sent him over um, a couple copies of In the Days of Dread because because of the kind of it's a futuristic thriller and it has like I've written Rastafari as a kind of world religion in the in the book and the main characters and a lot uh, and a lot of the what's going on is around this this religion which is now like among Christianity and, and uh, Islam and you know Buddhism and things so I created that so obviously with Rastafari there's always ganja isn't there there's always um, there's always that aspect you know which you know Rasta view it in a in a different way so I sent about 10 15 books over to him to you know to give away to people um, at the exhibition and it, it went as always it, you know it went well he said people <laughs> falling over themselves trying to get cut, cut. so I, what I really need to, to do is I, I need to to actually go to the states I need to set up like a marketing um, project like a junket um, like, a, junket, like a, a tour or something yeah, I, I need to actually do that um, and kind of, you know, drum up more more interest um, that way as well. So that I haven't done. I've, I've just been here and not. But I am actually uh, thinking about doing that, making plans to to actually to do it. So I'm hoping maybe close to the end of this year or um, early early next year to to actually get that ball rolling and continue the momentum as well. Not just do it as a one-off, but keep it, keep it rolling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, you know, when you do that, one of the things that I would like to recommend to you is that if you're coming to the States, you know, go on to the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website and yeah. put where your itinerary in that calendar. You know, what, course, what, definitely what, what yeah. yeah, because, because mm. then that way, you know, and if I can get the yeah. ankle bracelet off, I'll even come see something. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, no, definitely. But, but, I, I will. I will. Um, because, you know, first of all, you know, I've interviewed somebody, you know, obviously in the UK, somebody in the island. I Hopefully I'm going to get to interview somebody from the African continent. You know, I, mm -hmm. I want you the best part of playing this, this show. <laughs> Is is I get to meet people who, uh, under no other circumstances, no other circumstances would I know what they would exist. You know, and, yeah. and when when I find out how, you know, one of the things I'm going to do at WorldCon is, um, you know, they're making a, a big push for inclusion and diversity. Okay, mm -hmm. because essentially science fiction was a white man's domain yeah. for its first hundred yeah. years, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they are doing some serious things in terms of diversity. And and one of the things that I really, you know, that's the other reason why I would really like to be the MC at the Super Awards, because I'd like to take, you know, 8 to 10 to 12 minutes to talk about diversity and, and not to scold anybody, but to talk about, you know, some reality. You know, one of the things that, okay, here's some of the things I you know, probably don't listen to the show that often, but um, 
two years ago, we might be getting close to three, two years ago, a report was released that showed that movies that had diverse casts made more money. Yes. That's huge. That's a, that's a huge, huge, huge re- revelation. Um, and then, and then we have, we have the interest, the overwhelming, you know, somewhat almost psychotic interest in this, the new, uh, Black Panther movie that's coming uh-huh. out. Yeah. And then, and then we have, you know, the fact that Luke Cage broke Netflix, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so what we're finding out is that what, what your boutique publisher seems to understand, which is a certain amount of diversity, is the bottom line. Right? Now you have, you have, you know, Star Trek fanboys pissed off that the primary character in Star Trek Discovery is a black woman. You know, yeah, well, we know. Chuck it up, boys. You know, for how many yeah. years was it that we were in Star Trek and we were built before the first commercial break wearing a red shirt? You know, you didn't hear us whining about it. We're just happy to celebrate some diversity. So, so there's a lot of cool things about diversity that can be talked about in a way that's illuminating and not castigating. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I would love to be able to do that. I don't want to sit there and point fingers and go, why the hell don't all of y'all know me, you know, or yeah. anything like that. Because that's, first of all, that's, yeah. you know, why would they know me? Um, I, I haven't reached that level of exposure yet. But to yeah. talk about, but to, to castigate, you know, fanboys for saying, oh, we can't have lead character in a Star Trek franchise be a black woman. You know, that that's that doesn't make any sense. You know, that you know I, I understand that and I don't know how it is over there. I hear that it can't be as racially polarizing in the UK as it is here. But I think, you know, with the election of Barack Obama and white people thinking that they were going to lose their uh, traditional white privilege here in this country. They thought that, you know, Obama was going to take that away from them, you know, caused a lot of political upset. And, and so everything is polarized to an extent that it hasn't been. But the fact of the matter is there are all kinds of people in this world. There are all kinds of stories being written. There are all kinds of, of, of markets that have not been saturated. Where money yes, can be made, and and following the money is probably the you know if if adding diversity to your movie is going to make the money, well, what's more money? What are what are traditionally white people they're going to make all money? So you know that's why the smart thing to do is get the the um, transmedia approach your intellectual property because what you're doing is you are setting the groundwork for preparing for your work to go everywhere and to be everywhere yeah, exactly. if, if, if the opportunity presents itself which is brilliant exactly. I mean it obviously yeah. a lot of people don't do that a lot of people are insular and a lot of people are scared you know there are some people who are, who are afraid of success which is kind of an odd thing but then you I kind of understand it but if you really want, if you like what you write, if you like what you 
filmed, like the webisode that you put together, wouldn't you want as many people as possible to enjoy your work? You know, and, and being able to do things that are necessary to do that seem to be seem to be kind of obvious. And, and that's why I think television, movies, you know, everybody's looking for content right now. You have so many content providers. You, you got stars, you got Netflix, you got, you know, you have 50 today where just five years ago you had 10. And 10 years ago you had two. So everybody's looking for content. So make your content is as accessible as possible if you want to be successful. I agree with so, yeah, and, you. And, and you're doing it. I mean, obviously you're doing um, yeah. so it. Let's, yeah. let's look down the road. Let's look, uh, let's look five years down the road. Um, where do you think, where do you see yourself five years now? What do you think will be different? Or, yeah, what do you think will be different from the way you're doing business now and also how you make it considered in the marketplace five years down the road? Well, um, Five years down the road, um, I'll definitely be a name within in the UK. I mean, it, it's just about consistency and production, isn't it? You, you have to be putting the stories out there. You have to get the stories out there constantly because, um, I mean, if, if the thing with writers, with authors, um, traditionally with books, novels, is that... You know, you'd write a book like you know every two years or so. I mean, that was back, you know, ten years, fifteen, twenty years ago. I mean, now mm -hmm. you you have to be producing content on a on a regular basis. Now, if you if you can, um, and that you know, this is kind of like my plan um, to do at least two full length novels a year, then. That is one thing. Then, you know, you have to keep your readers and your audience engaged with other types of content. So, five years from, from now, you know, God willing, I'd have a, a body of work that I'm constantly adding to. And also, you know, as we spoke about the process of you know, creating a book will now be streamlined. It won't be just creating a book, as we said, the, the transmedia experience, isn't it? So it's going to be, you know, having the characters conceptualized in the, in the novel, you know, um, having the novel at all of the, the various online outlets, having the digital versions of, of the novel at all of the the defenders um, the, the in the marketplace, having the audiobook available everywhere, having, you know, the graphic uh, novel, or even if it's not a full-length graphic novel, maybe um, a comic featuring maybe the backstory of characters within the novel, um, having a really slick trailer, um, so now that process is kind of disjointed. You you have to be, you, you know, I haven't got the team for every aspect of, of that yet. 
idea is time. You know, I'll have the team. So once I plug the idea in of a book or a short story or a novella, then, you know, the team will go into operation and all of the various aspects of that, you know, of the process that we've been talking about will be produced. So mm-hmm. at the end of it, I will have, you know, have that package, that transmedia package ready to, you know, to marshal into the various outlets online or offline. You know, so in five years time, I should have that streamlined. So each time I have an idea, I can plug in that idea to the various people within my team that will allow me to create that transmedia package. And and as I said, I'll be a name that will be known in the US and, you know, in in the UK for speculative fiction. And I mean, if if I'm lucky, um, then I'll also be able to say, well, I've had something made into TV and film. I mean, it could be... um, Short. I mean, let's not forget about animation too. You never know. I mean, you know, the Japanese, you know, if they see something they like, you know, they may be, they may want to, you know, you never can tell. But as I said, you have to have your work out there. You have to be in front of as many people, you know, access to it should be easy. And once that's happening again, and you're constantly, you know, producing various bits of content for different kinds of people, then... You know, yeah, so five years from now, I'll have that streamlined and my name and my work should be out there. And people, you know, once people who are in the know will know that, yeah, yeah, Anton, he, yeah, he's doing his work and it's uh, it's impressive. I, I love what he's doing. Yeah, that's, that's where I think I'll be. Great. You know, I think what people are going to say is, you know, I heard about this guy on this Genesis radio program, and uh, I've been following him ever since. That's what I'm hoping happens, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's what, I, that's what I hope, too. That's what I hope. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, you, were, you mentioned uh, before we started the show, one of, one of yeah. them not selling the way you wanted to sell here in the U.S. Right. Okay. Right. Now, uh, I meant to ask you as well. How do you how do you get um, reviews? I mean, personally, you. I mean, I have my my ways, but I mean, how how do you get readers to encourage readers to review your your work? I I will I will tell you. I probably encourage maybe two thousand yeah about two people to do mm. for me. I was I was very lucky. I mean, I'll tell you a quick story if you want to hear it. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, when my when my first book came out, it came out in December of two thousand nine. Okay, it, it was Discovery, and it was the first it was the first um, installment of a trilogy. And I was kind of stupid about it because I put right on the front of the book Volume One of the Dark Side trilogy. So you know, everybody kind of knew that there had to be three. I I knew I had to write two more books, but what happened was I had a bunch of readers. I had finished the book in 2001, and it took until 2009 to finally get it self-published because I was editing and, and going through it, and I wasn't sure if I had written the story. I had mm-hmm. friends read it, and these same friends I would have 
actually asked me to go review had had things gone the way I thought they were going to go. But um, what happened was when I finally got it online, sold, went up on Amazon. Yeah, I I was like a nervous wreck for six months because. Well, no, I didn't know if I wrote a good story, and I'll tell you why. When you have your friends be your beta readers, your friends probably yeah. don't want to hurt you. Your friends love you. Of course, yeah. Of course, of course. But if you wrote something really, really horrible, you know, in the back of my mind, I would always wonder, well, if you beat that, you know, because, because nobody wants to hurt a friend. So yeah, yeah. I'm sitting there for six months, and then finally the reviews start coming in from people I didn't know. And and they were they were very good. Yeah. And and that was when I was reassured that I wrote a good story. But I I did not put. I asked a couple people to do some reviews, and it's funny. The ones that I asked, uh, I would say a few of them just have not. They just haven't. So I don't ask anymore. Yeah. But at, at this point, you know, for my first book, I got 35 reviews up there, which I think is a respectable number. Yeah. And they're almost all four and five star reviews. Now, I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. I've heard that there are other ways to get reviews. I've heard that there are ways it would drive people to do it, ask people to do it. Um, yeah. you know, put it in the chat room to ask them. And yeah, I have asked. I said, well, if you really like it, I'm going to review up. That's usually after they've read it. You know, I don't tell somebody, hey, read my book and then put the review up or anything like that. Yeah, Because I don't, I don't want to exact that, that I guess, proper word for uh, Okay, so um, you, so, I mean, you do what, what I do. I mean, basically, you know, this, you put the work up. Um, I have... You know, subscribers to a newsletter that I do, so you know I tell people, um, oh, you know, if you enjoyed the book, you know, yeah, leave a you know review and, and stuff. But it, it's still difficult. It's still still very difficult for people to leave reviews. It's just, it's just difficult. So what I was saying to you early on is that um, I I have reviews um, of my young adult um, story, which is also going to be like a, a, a trilogy. And um, in the States, I know I was getting readers. I know people were buying the book and reading the book in the States, uh, but just nobody would leave reviews at all. And then suddenly um, I got a review one review and it was a, a two-star review and I'm thinking it's like I've waited so long for a review from the States and right. my first review is a two-star. Now, um, when I read the uh, comments, I mean, usually um, I don't because I guess it's a bit, I, I expect readers to, to read the book before you actually leave a comment, but somehow I think 
I, I'm not sure, but I, I don't think the person who left the review for that actually read the book. And the things he was saying, I was like, uh, I'm not sure if we're on the same page. But yeah, yeah, that, that, doesn't I, I, like, that doesn't sound like the book I wrote. Yeah, yeah I know. No, no, it, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. But, yeah, so I, I was just jokingly saying to you that, well, you know, I just can't get any reviews from the state, although most of the readers of the book are from the state. It's, it's strange, but um, I'm not getting the reviews. So people are reading it, but not not leaving reviews. So, I mean, in, in the UK, I'm getting uh, more reviews, but in the States, I'm not. So, you know, it's just one of these things that, you know, I think also what we were saying about getting people to know, I, I need to be more um, present in the States, you know, things like this where, you know, me and you have been, been chatting for a while and, you know, people get to know what I'm about and stuff. So it's not just about going out and getting the book, but realizing that, well, yeah, you know, I like it and I want somebody else to go out and enjoy it too. So I'll tell them about the book that I enjoyed. Or if I didn't enjoy it, you know, just say it because you don't want people to buy a book that they're not going to enjoy. So reviews are there, you know, in a way for you to just kind of express your opinion. And then, because you don't want a friend to go and get a book that's that's no use, you want a friend to go and get a good book. So if you like it, you leave a review. But as I said, let's see. It may it may get well, better. As I said, well, let me so. let me give you, let me give you a suggestion. Okay, you know you have a presence on Facebook, correct? Yes. And and you mentioned. Uh, do you mention that you're an author on Facebook? I, I haven't looked at your your page or anything. Yeah, um, I, I have um, I have a fan page, and the fan page is basically um, about the books and uh, related things that I'm kind of interested in, so film and comics and right. stuff like that. So yeah, so my okay. my fan page has, has all of that. Can I make a suggestion? Of course you can, yeah. If, if, if you pin a post at the top of your page, you know how you can do that? You know, where you, yes, of course. Yeah, if yeah. pin a post that says, you know, I appreciate all of my fans. I appreciate the fact that not only have they chosen to spend hard-earned money on what I have produced, but that, you know, if they appreciate it, but the, the best gift a fan can give an author is a positive review some place where other people will see it. And then just yeah. pin it to the top and leave it there for six months and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done something like that. I haven't left it up there for, for that long. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've, I've done something. But, yeah, I mean, William, what I do is I, I keep not badgering people or... No, 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 no. Of, of, but, yeah. mm. but I do it. I, I, do, I do agree, it. I agree. Yeah. Yes, you know, subtly to tell people, well, listen, if you did enjoy it, please, you know, leave a review. So from time to time. So, you know, it, it, I guess it takes time. We're impatient creatures, I suppose, as writers, you know. But, you know, these things take time. And it's, you, you're building a community, aren't you? And it takes yes, 
and learn to do to do that. So, you know, as I said, well, here's what was, here's what I found. Mm-hmm. I found a lot of people mm-hmm. won't buy um, of the first book of a series if they don't if they don't know that the rest of the books are already to go. If they're yes, they're yeah, I've been told about that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been so told it, that. It, here's what I've done with my paranoid ass self. This year, I'm gonna drop a whole trilogy at one time. Yeah. Three books, you know, and, and these are like 150,000 word books, but them all at once. And I'm yeah. looking for one is maybe jumpstart sales a little bit. Three reasons. The second reason is I got a whole lot of people beating me up about the fact that we can hurry up and, and, and drop the next trilogy so we know what happens. And, and the third thing is, you know, there's a little bit of ego in me in, in that I want, I, well, I want to be nominated for Hugo Nebula Award, okay? okay. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I, because I would love that. You know, I. Yes. I've read so much. I've read. I estimated I've read over twenty-five thousand books in the science fiction genre since I was eleven. Mm-hmm. Now that's a that's a lot of damn books. So I, I I have a good idea of what's good, what's not good, what what makes for a compelling story and things like that. And and to be very honest with you, I write in a style that I think is conducive to people wanting to read what I've written and and to read more of what I've written. You know? Yeah. And so I you know, but to hold back those other books, do this all at one time, it's really to do this, you know, like we were talking about, it's not an incredible task to get all of this done, but it's but it's something that you know I I figure I can I can just do it, and if I do it that way, maybe it's going to work out well for me. You know, I would love to be able to not have to see torn laptops and fix stupid network errors, take viruses off computers, which is what I do during my regular yeah. job and just sit back and, and write and maybe take a little time off and you know, like oh, I told yeah. the white years I'm yeah. hundred and eighty six years old, I'm not getting any younger. You know? Um, yeah. so so yeah, there's a lot of things that I do in the service of of being an author that I think a lot of people do or they do sort of the way I do, but but the fact of the matter is you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I am the boss of my writing career, and uh, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. Now, the thing about yeah. the thing about reviews—that's a tough one, man. I I will tell you, I I try not to get. Well, I'm at the point now. I'm mature enough that I don't see a bad review as an invalidation of myself. You know, which a lot of younger people do. You know, a lot of younger yeah. people have a tough time. You know delineating between somebody reviewing their book and somebody deciding whether they're a worthy human being or not. And really, the two don't always decide. But I, I'll tell you, I was mad. I was mad the first time I got a one-star review. Well, fortunately, I've only gotten one one-star review. And then the person who reviewed it was a white guy who said, oh, you know, great premise for a book, ha, ha, ha. It seemed more like a... Uh, uh, a skit from Saturday Night Live and, and uh, uh, you know, a good story. Yeah. And I, I was mad for about for about an hour. I really was. I was like, this mother, I, you know, and I had words. 
you know, I had words, and I was glad I was by myself because they were not pleasant words. <laughs> then I thought about it, and when I go and talk about my work, I put his review up to show yeah. everybody. And the reason why is because, you know, there's still a huge, huge, huge divide in the United States of America between blacks and whites in terms of what is going on in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of a lot of whites in this country don't believe that, that cops are murdering black people um, inappropriately. I, I use oh, no. that word oh, no. to me as that offends people, but... That's that's what they think. They figure the first thing out of their in, you know in their mind is well, he must have done something to to, to have deserved that. You know that six year old kid with the, the cap gun who got blown away by a cop at, in under thirty seconds. And so yeah. so you know when people see things that differently, again I have to make allowances for the fact that somebody wouldn't understand why black folks would want to live secretly on the moon with just other black folks rather than living in the United States of America. Personally, if I had that opportunity, I'd have a rocket up my ass. But that's just me. (laughs) So it is kind of of tough, you know, getting those reviews. But, you know, how long has your oldest work been up on Amazon? Um, Not not long at all, to be honest. I think, oh, possibly about two years or so. Okay. You know, that's that's kind of, you know, you're you're getting close to a threshold. But as far as getting more people in the United States to read you, hopefully like this show and other exposure of who you are will help get the ball moving. Yeah, how are people in the U.S. going to know who you are? You know, that, that's of course, they know the way. question at the very beginning. But but hopefully, you know, obviously people pick up, more people listen to this show as a podcast than they do as, you know, live. Because a lot of people actually have live, and they do stuff on Friday night. I don't, so I do the show. <laughs> um so, so this, I think this is going to help. The other thing that you might want to do is obviously as soon as um, this is done and it's archived up on TalkShoe, link to it on your Facebook page so people can get the know. I will do. You know, even, even people do. in England, you know, people in England, you know, in the UK, they don't know you that well. They know you yeah. a little bit. They know you a little bit better than we do. So yeah. this could be a huge tool with disproportionate response nearly because, you know, we sat here for a couple of hours and we chatted and yet people could find out, well, this, this, you know, so much more about you than they could any other way than meeting. If you had one thing that you wanted to tell people who are starting out that, that you learned the hard way, you know, maybe the best lesson you learned about becoming an entrepreneur in terms of writing, what, what would you say to someone who's just starting out? Maybe, maybe halfway through writing their first book. Do you have any advice? Do you have something that sticks out to you? Yeah. Um, would be, you know, choosing yourself. Um, because 
you know, nobody can do what you do. Nobody will see the world the way you see the world. You know, nobody will be able to express, you know, their feelings in the way you do. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we, as I said, we live in a time now where, you know, the gatekeepers are disappearing. It's, you know, access to having your book published is so much easier. But that doesn't, it, that isn't a reason for you not to do the best you can and make sure mm-hmm. you produce the best, the best product you can. Not because you can do it means that you're going to do it shabbily. So, you know, for, for people who especially who want to self-publish, you know, express yourself, do what you have to do, but also call on people who have the expertise you don't have. And it, yeah. may, be, it may cost, it may cost, it may be expensive, yeah. it may be time-consuming, but it's worth getting a team around you. So you need, you know, somebody who can create fantastic covers for you, you know, somebody who can properly, I mean, a proper editor who can edit your work and also some knowledge of, you know, the environment we're in, social media for marketing of your book. So, yes, I'll encourage everybody to express themselves and choose themselves. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done, but make sure whatever you put out there you, you give it your all, you give it your, your best. Don't put anything just because it can be done. Give it everything. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much. Um, I I, uh, I want to thank you for spending this time with me. What time is it over there, by the way? It's uh, 4.15 in the morning. Oh, man. Are you normally up at this time, or did you make a special effort for us? Um, I would have maybe gone gone to bed about two hours ago, but um, okay. I'm a late I'm a late worker. But yeah, that's that's fine. It's cool. It's, it was great. Um, it was great talking to you and engaging with with the guys. Yeah, no, it was it was good. I had a great time. I mean, you made it very easy. I want to thank you for being here and for spending your time with sure. us. And, and definitely, I'm thinking, you know, I, I would like to catch up with you maybe a year or two down the road and see what you're up to. If that would be okay. Be sure to let us know when you come to the state. If you come to Chicago, I'll oh, invite you on. Yeah, I will. I will. I'm not gonna um um make any plans without you guys knowing for sure. Okay, well thank you very much. Um it looks like Jarvis is here for his traditional show pose. If you can hang on for a little while, Anton, if that's her yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, and yeah. uh, Jarvis, are you there? Oh yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you yeah. Hear, can, can you hear, hear me now? Fine. Okay, great. Um, as always, I want to thank everyone uh, for participating, uh, whether that's actually listening in or sharing what we're doing online. And I want to thank you guys for, for putting together a really nice show. Um, William for keeping it in, enjoyable and entertaining as always. And um, for our guest, it was that was some excellent information, and I'm glad that you were able to take some time out of your day <laughs> or morning and spend with us and share what you're doing. 
and you guys brought up some very interesting points. One that I latched on to that both of you um, keyed in on was like marketing. I've seen situations where um, as creators, um, we get so focused on creating that we omit the business aspect because uh, we're so focused. But we have to learn that you have to divinate your time into both creation and the business aspect. So I have a couple individuals I've been trying to assist where they were so focused on creating, 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 but they haven't even um, recouped their money on the first, you know, book or whatever. So that's um, you guys hit hit the nail on the head in terms of making sure that marketing is in play because if no one knows that you exist, they can't support what you're doing. And so you guys' efforts in terms of, of marketing are, are, are spot on. And so that's one thing I, I've really pulled uh, from what we were talking about and diversifying into transmedia. Um, it, it's just This was just great all the way around. So thank you for bringing those points out. Okay, yeah, and then um, it's, I, I would think, uh, Jarvis, I think we need to get more people from all around the world to this show. All right. You have a, have a great point there. I think I've uh, I just started um, making a list. Uh, we, we have some people that we've interviewed from around the world already, um, but right. reaching out to get more and establishing... Um, working relationships where we can do a flyer swap or something or sell each other's books um, at different events. Say you can't make an event here in the U.S. We could uh, possibly have your books there at the table as well. And some things things of that nature. And I've also um, uh, been thinking in terms of connecting with the 55 black bookstores that we have in the U.S. You know, establishing real relationships that are mutually beneficial. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes sounds uh, perfect. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Uh, whatever help you need on my end, you know, you can contact me and, and I'm there. So, awesome. let me know. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you. And and likewise, you know, that's, that's what we're in the business of doing is highlighting and celebrating and creating Black Science Fiction. Um, Black Science Fiction Society, um, was created to do that. So we've been able to um, make our own social network. We've been able to do this radio show. We've been able to come out with a magazine and, and also working on a 3D film as we speak. Um, so what we really like doing and our main goal is to continue to spread science fiction so that uh, people don't have an excuse. There, there, are a lot, there are thousands of us now that are creating, probably millions that are watching this stuff, but... Uh, and reading it, but there are th at least thousands of us now uh, creating. So, like you said, there is no excuse now uh, with the tools that we have available to us. Um, is 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 within reach. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.